0: Acts chapter 4, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, seeing an example of what it means to be a church in action. The last three weeks has been on the topic of unity. Unity was a defining mark of this early church. And their unity was a large part of their effectiveness. Last week, we saw from the beginning of verse 32 that they were a multitude of one. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. This church in Acts was completely unified. We'll see a little bit more of that tonight. They they were unified in every sense of the word. And it led them to become spirit-filled believers. That were speaking the word of God with boldness. And in verse 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I closed last week by highlighting a portion of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, where four times our Lord prayed that we might be as one. And the reason Jesus gave for Desiring our unity was so that the world may know that God has sent Jesus. I mean, how important is unity? But he went on to say, it also will show that God loves us and that God loves Jesus. Our unity cannot be overemphasized. If we want to be a church in action filled with the Holy Spirit, experiencing God's power working mightily in us and through us, we have to strive for unity. I said you have to strive for it because it's not going to come natural. Somebody's going to get ruffled. Somebody's going to be upset that I said something the wrong way. Somebody's going to be upset that somebody walked past you and didn't say hello. Not knowing what's going on in their world, they may have to really get out of here. (laughs) And listen, I'm trying to keep it a little silly, but, but you know it's true. There are things that will begin to work its way in. Satan will seek to divide and conquer. And he'll do that by sowing discord, getting us, um, I was going to say getting us ununified. What's the word? Disunified. What's the word? Fighting? What would she say? Divided. Thank you, sister. This is why you're helping me with my Christmas sermon. Um, So I said that this morning and everybody was like, what? Really? Well, she sent a really good text, and I said, that's actually one of my points on Christmas morning. So she came up to me after that and said, if you need help with any of your other points, let me know. <laughs> So thank you, sister. <laughs> you will be blessed. All right. Divided. That's the word. Thank you. All right. In order to be unified, we have to die to self. And no man ever yet hated his own flesh. So we have to die to our our flesh. We have to agree with God in His Word. And we have to allow God to be all and in all. And if we'll do that, there's no telling what God can do right here in this little church in Rapid City, South Dakota. Well, we'll begin tonight by reading 32 through 37 of Acts chapter 4 again this week. The Bible says... And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who's by the, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. <laughs> I think we're meant to know exactly who this guy was. Amen. <laughs> Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen. So last week we covered the first half of verse 32 along with verse 33. I mentioned I would circle back this week and catch the second half of verse 32, tie that in with verses 34 and 35. And just because I've chosen to break it down this way does not mean I disagree with how God decided to lay out the word of God. <laughs> Amen. Um, I would never be so careless as to suggest that the Holy Spirit got this wrong, um, but I couldn't cover it all in one, I couldn't cover all that thought in one sermon, so I've decided to break it down this way. Um, But there is a reason it flows from 32 right into 33, because we see in the second half of verse 32, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And though it may seem a little out of place, it goes right into verse 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The the structure is very significant. God's word is exactly how he ordained it to be. It's it's laid out just exactly as he wanted it to be. And, And the structure here is actually teaching us the love for the brethren. The love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ is a defining mark of a Christian. Amen. That is a defining mark. Of a believer. We'll, we'll see that a little bit later in this message. Therefore, the, the care that they had for one another was one of the ways that they were being witnesses of the Lord's resurrection. Now, that's a thought. The, the fact that they were loving one another was a, a proof of the Lord's resurrection. In other words, why do any of this that they're doing if the Lord isn't alive? Why, why, even, why even take the risk of meeting together in a city that hates you, that wants you dead? Why would you even meet together if there wasn't a living Savior behind this movement? I mean, that would be insanity. And, you know, we've been blessed in America for sure. Thank God. Um, we're certainly seeing things erode if you were here this morning. Uh, You heard that in the message, but um, you know, as we get further down the line here, it's going to be more evident that we believe in something greater than ourselves because the pressures will mount and we'll have to make a decision. Are we sticking with this thing or not? So uh, anyway, I chose to split it up this way just to be able to cover everything a little more focused. But with that out of the way, we find this church in Jerusalem, they did something very unique. In verse 34... For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And in verse 35, it says, Distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. That's good water, girl. Thank you. Did you turn on the tap to get that? It was in one of those pitchers in the fruit. Do you do the same thing? No. Oh. Yours is so much better. Look, we about to be snowed in together. You know what I'm saying? We got to get off on the right foot here. All right. Yeah. She's a sweetheart. Sunday nights, man, I'm telling you. All right. So they, they did this unique thing of selling their possessions. This isn't the first time we've actually seen this from this church. You may recall back in Acts chapter 2, it says in verses 44 and 45, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possession and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And really, because of the short time span that we see from the end of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4, I think we could maybe even make the argument that this is really just a continuation of what was started in chapter 2, if that makes sense, that this is just what this church was doing. It was just part of what they were. So uh, that's just my opinion there. But um, I, I think we could probably make that point. But the reason this church body was willing and able to do this was because in verse 32... Look at what it says. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. This enabled them to be able to say, I'll sell it. And I'll give it because it was never mine to begin with. And this is a principle that I believe every believer needs to understand. We're blessed with a lot of young people in our church that are Setting out in life, newly married, teenagers coming up, several about to graduate, and mercy, if I could just get everybody to understand, you give of what you have to the Lord, He will bless you. Amen. Amen. I know that's hard because now you're making money and you're like, man, I want the new pair of, you know, whatever. What we possess isn't really ours. From an earthly legal standpoint, yes, it belongs to us. I can file a report that you stole some of my possessions, right? We we understand that. But from a biblical perspective, our possessions, whatever is titled in our name, shouldn't be viewed as ours, but it should be viewed as God's. David had prepared a great storehouse for Solomon to build the temple. Remember that? God said you can't build it. You're a man of war, your hands are bloody, but your son of peace, Solomon, he's going to build the temple. And so David began to prepare his son. What a great sermon there, but I'm fighting that. And so he prepared this storehouse of an abundance of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, precious stones, marble. But then David followed that up in 1 Chronicles twenty nine sixteen. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand, and all is thine own. David said, I've gathered it, but it's all yours. I've gathered it to build you a house, it's all yours. And Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heaven... (laughs) Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heaven's is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that is therein. And, and we read several times in the Bible, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All that we have, and we're so blessed in America. Most of the poorest among us are richer, richer than a lot of the world. That's still true. But everything we have, the roof over our head, the clothes on our back, the food on our table, the vehicles in our driveway, the gas in those vehicles, amen. Any money we still may have in the bank after Biden inflation. Uh, It all belongs to God. God has merely chosen to bless us as stewards of these possessions during our time under the sun. If there's one thing... I'll always remember my mother getting through to me. It was this. Don't take what we have for granted. God can take it all away tomorrow. That's right. That's right. And I have hung on to that. And it's a fact. Job said in Job one twenty one, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So don't view what you have as your Possessions but view them as being entrusted to you by God. Same goes for your children. Once you get this settled, then you'll know, and and this is what I want you to get. If you get that settled, you'll know God can do with you, your family, and your possessions as He sees fit. Because it's His. And you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body which is the Lord's. If you understand this, what you will find is you will be willingly giving what you have back to the Lord. It does not mean you're going to have to sell something and bring the money and lay it here before my feet. That's not what I'm saying. But you will be able to say, Lord, this house is yours. You do with it as you see fit. This vehicle is yours. Are you with me? Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. Boy, Adrian's not God. (laughs) For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Job 41.11, whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. (laughs) Now, thank God that He blesses us the way He does. And I tell you, I would tell you, enjoy the blessings that God has given you. I mean, somebody gives you a gift, enjoy it. That's why they gave it to you. Solomon expressed in Ecclesiastes 2.24, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. God wants us to enjoy His manifold blessings upon us, both spiritually and materially. But let's never forget that it is only by God's grace that we have been given anything that we may have. And what we must consider is that these blessings have been given to us in order that we might bless others. You know, Preacher Williams used to say, I pray for God to put into this hand what I can give away in this hand. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. James 2, verses 15 through 17, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. First John three seventeen, but whoso, but whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I don't like that person. That's not the qualification, or else I wouldn't give anything to anybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas. This church in Jerusalem, they understood these truths and because of this understanding, they didn't view their possessions as their own. This enabled them to sell their possessions and then to give to those in need. And this led to them having all things common. In other words, they were completely unified. This is showing us that they were not only unified about heavenly things, spiritual things, But they were also unified when it came to the things of this earth, the the carnal needs, the, the needs of the body. They were also unified that way. They understood everything really is spiritual. And I try to get that through to a lot of people. I don't care what's happening in your life. There is a spiritual component somewhere. Everything is spiritual. Now, I want you to understand... This is not saying that they were all leveled out to the same standard lifestyle. That's not what this is teaching. That's a misconception by by some. This isn't socialism. This isn't that they did this and all of a sudden everybody became middle class. Notice in verse 35 again that distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. This was not what they wanted. Well, Tyler Brock's got a jet ski and I don't. Well, we can remedy that. That's not what's happening here. This is not an entitlement mindset. The beginning of verse 34 says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. This is all about meeting a genuine need. I covered some of this eight and a half months ago when we were in chapter two. And I'm going to borrow from some of those thoughts because there's more that's going on here than at first read. Why was this church in Jerusalem compelled to do this? They weren't commanded to do it. They just did it. God didn't say to do this. No other church did this. Nobody else followed this example and, and this didn't even go on forever, as we'll see in here in just a minute. But why were they doing this? It's only found here. Well, in, in chapter 2, the, this, this section of, of passages. I believe there's some important reasons that we shouldn't overlook as to why there was this amazing act of charity in Jerusalem and, and really only at this time in history. And, and I know saying that, I need to be a little careful because there have been churches that have had incredible testimonies of similar type things happen. Um, I've mentioned before, there's a church in Oregon that spontaneously, a little girl decided she would sell her brand new saddle to give to the building fund. And the whole church just, next thing you knew, everybody was selling stuff. And they raised the money. And it was very spontaneous. Nobody commanded it. I mean, it, it, was, it was so precious. It got to the point where people were taking their wedding rings and engagement rings. And thankfully, the pastor held on to those, knowing that he didn't want to do that. He gave those back to them after the fact. I, I know this happens, but, but this is a very unique circumstance here in first century Jerusalem. And we have to consider what took place in chapter 2 when this, first, when this is first mentioned. Remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, it tells us, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. A large portion of the 3,000 that were saved in Acts chapter 2 would have been those who were temporarily being housed in Jerusalem. They had moved there for training. They wanted to be at the epicenter of Judaism. They wanted the finest teachers in Judaism. And that's why they had come from every nation under heaven to Jerusalem. It was for that purpose. They wanted to be adherent followers of Judaism. And so they chose Jerusalem, obviously, where they wanted to be. And they were called devout men. And once they became disciples of Christ, uh uh-oh, now there's a problem. Now they're going to be shunned by the religious Jews. And likely anybody who was seen helping these early Christians would have been under threat by the council as well. The council was not only threatening the Christians, but you can believe they were threatening those who were helping the Christians. And we know that there was fear even before this point because there's the blind man in John chapter 9 who receives his sight from Jesus and they bring him before the council and they, they end up fetching the dude's parents. And they say, what happened to your son? And they say, you ask him, he's of age. And, and the reason, the Bible says in John 9:22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And that's a bigger deal than I can communicate tonight. But it would really upset your life in those days. These converts were from every nation under heaven and since they were not from Jerusalem to begin with and since they had now cut their ties to Judaism it is very likely the only place they could look to for help was the church here in Jerusalem because people were fearing the council. These believers were literally standing alone. Yeah, why not? I'll go there. All this talk about buying and selling and you can't unless you have this mark and this thing I don't know what all that looks like but in two nations this within the last month or two have protested their governments their governments have shut down all their accounts their credit cards their bank accounts they have cut that off listen I'm not trying to be an alarmist the day's coming And I don't know what it looks like, but the Bible is clear. There's coming a point when it's going to be very difficult for you to buy or sell. It's already happened in history. It's happening now too. And and I'm saying that to tell you, you know, we, we, we read these accounts in the Bible and we think, well, you know, thank God I'm in America. Yeah, I agree. But how long will that last? I don't know. Everything is so digitalized. Digitize whatever the word is today, they'll shut you off. I don't know, I I rarely have cash anymore. You know, it's just digits in an account, that's all it is. Anyway, I don't want to go down that road, but there's a lot of things I've been chewing on that I'm trying to hold back to stay on target here, but they were standing alone. They were in a city that was steeped in in a corrupt form of Judaism, given by the traditions of men. They had rejected Christ, they had killed the Messiah, and this is where these folks are living. And now that they're followers of Christ, who are they going to turn to? The Romans could care less to help you, they just wanted the territory. The council's not going to want to help you. They're anti, they're Christ. Just makes you wonder what's, what's brewing. And, and I guess, you know, church. Listen, church isn't just some, it isn't just some place where we come and high five. This is a big deal tonight. We we are a body. And, and, and hear my words, because whether it happens in 10 years or 100 years, the day's coming when our help's going to be right here. I know it's from the Lord. I know we're sustained by Him. I get that. But God uses people, and He's going to use His local church. We've just had it so good. So here they are. They're, they're in this city where they have just recently turned Jesus over to the Romans to crucify Him who's going to want to help a christian and we have to we have to understand the judaizers would have turned their backs on these new converts in acts chapter 2 and it was after this mass conversion of 3000 souls that were told in chapter 2 how they had all things common because they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need boy my mind is just going all kinds of places that are nowhere in these notes i Listen, if I can just encourage you to do everything you can to get out of debt Amen. Amen. they were able to sell what they had. Well, another huge wave of people are being saved here at the beginning of this chapter, which we've already seen. And I believe the same reason that I've just highlighted, people continued to sell their stuff, and they continue to help meet the needs of new believers. Another reason why this church in Jerusalem may have moved been moved to do this is because as of yet there are no other local churches to reach out to. They're it. (laughs) There is no church in Corinth. There are no churches in the regions of Galatia. They're it. And so God may have moved them to do this because this was the way that they were going to be sustained. And in this, in this, in this church, the time would come that they would receive help. But as of right now, those churches aren't there, and so the only place they have is, is themselves. And for those that you may hear using this passage to advocate for socialism, because it's coming. Just wait till the next socialist guy runs. At some point, the Bible is going to be cited why we ought to be socialist. Man, I'm feeling feisty. I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. Pray for me. I'm fighting it. It's, it's not going to work. It, we even see in this early church, it's never sustaining. Th- this didn't last in Jerusalem. Eventually, the well ran dry. Um, and so if anybody's trying to use this to advocate it, you take them over to Romans 15, verses 25 through 27, where it says, Paul now is saying, But now I go to unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it has pleased, pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things, or to help them in, in, in the body. Or you could take them to Acts 11, 29, and 30. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, ability determined To send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the time was coming that these believers in Jerusalem would receive help from other local churches, financial assistance, and they would need assistance in time because God was going to send persecution to Jerusalem in order to take these believers and scatter them. Right, they were going to go out and preach the gospel into the world. In Acts. 8 and verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, speaking of Stephen. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they all were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Acts 8, 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 11, 19 through 21. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So it's amazing. God, He scatters believers from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution of Saul, and yet God was going to use that same man to bring relief from other churches that He started back to Jerusalem. It's just amazing how God works. I I marvel. I still marvel at how God knows the end from the beginning. He works everything out. And He had it all planned for it to work that way. His ways are not our ways. Now, it is unlikely that those who had been saved on Pentecost, or it is likely that those who were saved at Pentecost, out from under, under every nation under heaven, when the persecution came, they probably went back to where they were from, preaching the Word of God. Again, it's amazing how God works. That that the day of Pentecost, when so many people come into Jerusalem, that thousands would be saved. And then God would scatter them back out, saying, go preach the gospel. And it took persecution. You say, man, you've just been talking a lot of negative stuff today. God's going to use it for good. I don't understand it all. But He's going to use it for people to be saved. It could be that as they left, they were partially funded by this tremendous giving in chapter 2 and 4. I don't know, just thought. In addition to caring for their brothers and sisters in Christ, in addition to there not being any other local churches yet, the most compelling thought to me as to why this church in Jerusalem sold their lands and houses is because of Jesus' prophecy concerning Jerusalem's destruction. Luke 19, verses 43 and 44. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In less than 40 years, that prophecy was going to come to pass. The Romans were going to come against Jerusalem in 70 AD and everything happened just as Jesus foretold. And I am of the opinion personally that this church in Jerusalem understood their city was going to be destroyed in their lifetime. So why hang on to stuff in Jerusalem? I mean, if you were told by Jesus tonight that in your lifetime, this area is going to be completely wiped, wiped to the ground, how long would you wait to start selling your stuff? Makes sense to me that you'd probably just go ahead and sell when you had a chance. And once you saw the... the City compassed with armies, you would do as Jesus said, and you would flee to the mountains. So, I hope you can see there's more going on here than meets the eye um, at first read. And, and this is why no church has ever been commanded to do this. This is why I'm not going to get up here tonight and tell you, let's get ready to sell all of our stuff. Amen. It's your stuff. You do with it as you see fit. We'll even see that in chapter five. But anyway, this is what's going on. So, as I preach this morning, the day is coming when all your material possessions are going to melt with fervent heat. They were compelled to sell and give because destruction was on the way, and destruction's on the way again. We just don't know when. And it's everything's going to melt with heat. The Bible says. And when God comes again to pour out His wrath, uh, what you have ain't going to make a whole lot of difference. And, and so, again, I'm not saying go sell all your stuff, but I do want to leave you with this thought tonight, okay? Don't set your affections on the things of this earth. It's okay to have stuff. I have stuff. I've got about ten motors of stuff, all right? Anyway. But, but remember this, the things you possess are only temporary. Even your health. They are given to us by God for His glory and honor and to help those in need as God leads. So let's be found good stewards of God's blessings. Never allow the things of this world to dictate your service to God. And should your service to God cost you material possessions, then so be it. God will provide. Because God cares for His own. Now, what's great about our text... Is they no longer had a reason to be connected to Jerusalem? Whoop. There's nothing keeping them anchored to Jerusalem. They sold everything, they gave it to God. Is there anything tonight that is keeping you tethered to this world? Is there something that is keeping you from serving our God with your whole heart? All that you are, all that you have belongs to God. We have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're just pilgrims, we're strangers, we're sojourners, as in a foreign land. Hebrews 11, 15 and 16, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly where God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city our citizenship is in heaven Amen. we are ambassadors on assignment for our king this life and all of its goods are only temporary we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we're taking nothing with us in reality, get this, what happened to these believers in Jerusalem is they held, on so, they held on so tightly to God that they let go of the things of the world. Amen. Can that be said of you tonight? 1 John 2, 15-17 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. As you get older, you realize how foolish it was chasing after some of the things you did in your youth. And then you get a little bit older and you realize, what's the point in most of this? Because now you see, I'm, I'm over halfway home. And you begin to wonder, what, what, what was it all for? Why did I labor for that? Why did I fall victim to that peer pressure about this kind of housing or this kind of clothing or this kind of vehicle? Our Savior had nowhere to lay His head. I think about the 12 and they forsook all. And they followed Christ. And from that 12, the world was turned upside down. Because everyone looked at their stuff and said, it's not mine. Do you have a need, brother? I'll help you out. I know there's got to be caution there to some extent. People will take advantage. But this was a unified group of people. And it wasn't about status. The city's going to be destroyed. And there was no reason to hang on to this stuff. You want my house? Take it. You want my lands? Take it. And what did Jesus said? If you can't get rid of your houses and lands, you cannot be my disciple. He also said, if you can't hate mother, father, brother, sister, da 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 That's a whole other thing. Is there something tonight you need to tell God, I'm letting go of it? This is silly. I, I don't know why I have made this such a priority. Is there anything like that in your life? And, and you realize deep down, that this is, what, what am I doing? How have I made this such a priority that it's affecting my walk with God? And it's something that you can't take with you. I invite you tonight to just grab a hold of God tightly enough that you begin to let go of those things. And, and that you will look into his face so intently that you can say, like David in Psalm 16:5, the Lord is my portion of mine inheritance and of my cup, thou maintainest my lot. He's my portion, he is all I need. It, it was amazing, Adam, saying this at the end of the service because it was already in my notes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You find you an old timer in here that has walked with God, and you ask them what's important. And I'll guarantee you, it's not going to be. You get the biggest house you can. You get the finest car you can. You get the best clothes you can. Uh, you send it ahead. You send it ahead. Where thieves cannot break in. Where rust cannot corrupt. And, and that's where you lay up your treasure. You lay it up in heaven. I could, I could speak all night. Let's, let's just pray.